Hello and welcome to Investment Matters, a new podcast brought to you by Emirates NBD. My name is Maurice Gravier. I am Chief Investment Officer and I'm delighted to start this new channel now as October is our Customer Experience Month. Here, we will speak exclusively about your investments together with experts from my team. Today, however, I will speak alone and stay on the big picture. We will go through three topics. A look back at 2020 so far, the current situation and near-term drivers, and of course, the medium-term outlook. Before that, as I have no clue if you will have the patience to deal with my French accent for 10 minutes or so, let me start with a conclusion. Markets may look disconnected from the present situation and risks, but they are not from the future outlook. We expect turbulences in the short term, but are reasonably constructive looking forward, especially on emerging markets. Now, if you're still with me, let's get started. 2020, what a year. We know the story. The coronavirus became a global pandemic, spreading exponentially and quickly overwhelming health systems all around the world. It had to be stopped. The world went into lockdown. It worked. The infection curves flattened, but the price to pay was huge. One of the deepest recessions in history. In the second quarter, global economic activity lost almost 20% compared to the previous year. This creates a second big problem. How to avoid a spiral of economic and financial devastation? To address it, the policy responses include two dimensions. First, to prevent permanent destruction of output and jobs before we defeat the pandemic, governments have to limit the loss of income. They have to give money. And that is exactly what they are doing. This is fiscal support. To do that and to prevent a financial crisis, money has to be available and at a very low cost. Central banks globally cut interest rates. They also basically started printing money to make it available to governments and private sector, sometimes directly. This is monetary support. Interestingly, seeing fiscal and monetary policies work together is a doctrine called modern monetary theory. It says that a government's spending and debt are not an issue as long as it can create money to fund them. Japan is doing that for some years now. Of course, it raises questions. If money is free, prices should rise. This is inflation. If large quantities of one currency are being created out of thin air, its value should collapse compared to others. And what about debt? Anyway, the pandemic is so critical that all taboos have been lifted. Governments are distributing money which is printed by their central banks everywhere, with only one major exception, which is China. We'll come back to this later. Now, what about financial markets in 2020? As I record today, they are doing fine. Almost every major asset class is delivering positive return. Of course, the best ones are the most defensive, which is understandable. Gold is up 25%, followed by the very same government bonds that central banks are buying, up 6%. But equities are not in distress. 
after having crashed in March, they recovered and are now up 4% on average in the world. How is that possible? Well, first, stock markets are an anticipating machine. After an initial panic, policy response was so massive that the most catastrophic scenario became very unlikely. Market participants looked through the crisis, even if we are in the middle of it. Earnings are hit in 2020, but they will recover in 2021. Second, interest rates collapsed. A 10-year government bond is now giving you only 0.7% annual interest. In relative, stocks have become more attractive. This justifies higher valuation multiples. Finally, but crucially, there hasn't only been losers from the COVID-19 crisis, there are also winners. Technology and healthcare are obvious examples. Consumption has also been resilient because personal income has basically been subsidized by fiscal stimulus. The most defensive cash flow generating sectors such as consumer staples also benefited from the interest rates being so low their dividends look fat now. There are also differences in regions. Chinese domestic stocks are up 17% this year. Yes, China, where it all started. But there is no recession there. And even being the world's factory for personal protection equipment, their exports are on the rise. Saying that stock markets are disconnected and do not reflect the COVID crisis is too simplistic. Airlines, energy stocks are sharply down, as are banks, but technology or China aren't because for fundamental reasons, they shouldn't. Yes, markets are expensive, but they are not disconnected. So let's move on to the current situation and its drivers. First, the economy. The recovery has started and we do not think that it will stop. Some countries, again, are already out of the wood. China is booming now, exceeding pre-pandemic levels. The rest of the world is running 10% below. No doubt, the virus is still not under control, with infections rising every day, especially in the West. A vaccine, effective and widely distributed, will be the solution and the true market catalyst, but we are not there yet. In the meantime, however, we believe that we have learned to live with COVID-19. It's not wishful thinking, it's facts. It's under control in China again and again. And if you don't trust Chinese numbers, look at Japan or South Korea. Closer to us, the UAE is another example, with one of the lowest death tolls as a percentage of the population in the world, 10 times better than in Europe. This proves that with the right measures and discipline, we can live with the virus until a vaccine is found without freezing the economy again. This is our base case. Having said that, the pace of the recovery is fading. We had an initial very strong bounce at reopening, starting from a very low level. Then, manufacturing activity has restarted. Consumption has been resilient and factories were closed, so now inventories are being rebuilt. 
The next is, of course, services. And it is not an easy one with the current restrictions. Think restaurants, hospitality, airlines, events. At this stage, with so many people still unemployed, more fiscal stimulus is needed now to keep the recovery on track. And this is where the situation gets a bit more complicated. As if 2020 was not already complex enough, we are weeks away from the US elections, the next president and members of the Congress. An additional fiscal package is in discussion in Washington since the summer. It should be enormous, but electoral considerations create an impasse. None of the parties wants the other to take credit. It looks much more appealing to blame the other for doing nothing. As a result, the short-term drivers are the virus, not looking good, and the fiscal stimulus held hostage by unpredictable US elections. In a context of expensive markets with no margin of safety for adverse events, it means volatility. We will address the election's impact in our next podcast with our head of equity. But in a nutshell, Mr. Trump is more favorable for US assets and even the dollar with his tax cuts and America first agenda. Mr. Biden is seen as more friendly from a global perspective, especially for emerging markets. A larger fiscal package, a potentially lower US dollar with less unpredictability in international relations. Both would need support from the Congress and current polls suggest it can be either controlled by the Democrats or split. Everything can happen during an election, including the worst possible short-term scenario of highly contested results. This would lead to a month of uncertainty where both parties would claim victory. It happened in 2000, but the context was not as sensitive. There was no pandemic around, a lower unemployment rate, and less risk of political and even social chaos. Markets would not like it at all. So, in a nutshell, the coming weeks will be turbulent. There will be differentiated market reactions when the election's results are known, hopefully in November. Having said that, for the medium term, whoever is the next tenant of the White House, the US government spending will increase and will be funded by the Fed. This is not just about the US. This modern monetary theory is at play in every region where it is needed. So, what does it mean for investments in the medium term? First, it means economic growth. We were wondering when the last expansion cycle would end. Halas, now we know it ended brutally in the first quarter of 2020. What lies ahead is growth. Yes, the recovery will be long, uneven, probably incomplete, but still, it is positive growth. Second, central banks, again, have made it clear funding is not an issue and interest rates will remain extremely low for long. It raises long-term questions for sure, but in the medium term, it means that money is cheap and for investment, that there is no such thing as a risk-free yield. Putting both together, 
An economic recovery will support earnings growth and very low interest rates justify high valuation multiples. This is not an adverse backdrop for investments. Yes, markets are expensive, but we cannot compare the current situation with the stock market bubble of 2000 like some do. Back then, a good old 10-year US Treasury bond gave you 6% annual interest. There was no reason to pay high multiple for stocks except euphoria. The least we can say is that currently there is no euphoria and many institutional investors are even still too defensive. They need returns. Their 10-year government bonds give them 0.7%. They have no choice. They will buy stocks. Let me conclude on positioning. What do we do in portfolios? The current times are too turbulent to take any short-term bets and be overly aggressive. But the medium-term outlook is too compelling to be outright defensive. Our recommended positioning is to be fully invested, not far from the long-term optimal strategic asset allocation, but we have clear preferences. Let's start with what we don't like. Government bonds in the developed world do not provide sufficient yields and they are so expensive that even their diversification benefits for a portfolio are questionable. For safe yields, we prefer corporate bonds or selected emerging markets. For risk mitigation, we prefer cash, which also gives you flexibility and gold, yes, Gold yields nothing, but it is the currency that nobody can print. Hedge funds are also an underweight. The short term is too unpredictable and trends are too unstable for them to do well. In front of these underweights, we are slightly overweight equities with a clear preference for emerging Asia. It includes China for its incomparable organic economic vitality and its reasonable valuation. We also overweight emerging markets within the fixed income asset class. That's it for our very first episode. Thank you for listening and I hope you liked it. In our next podcast, together with our head of equity, Anita, we will discuss the US elections in more details. Of course, all our views and publications are available on our website. Stay safe and invest wisely.